Father, it has been so good to come together and worship you today. It's been so good to see all the folks who you brought here and catch up. And the testimonies this morning out by the crosses were so rich and encouraging. Oh, you're so good. We just want to quiet ourselves now and sit at your feet and listen to your word. We just want to listen to you. Please speak to us. This Easter Sunday, please speak to us in a way that is transformative. And we trust you now, looking into your word, in Jesus' name, amen. This Easter, as I prayed through what passage to bring to you during the message, I landed on the most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3.16. I want to read that verse to you, and then I'd like for us to look at what comes after it. Many of you... Probably all of you know John 3.16, and I know you've heard it, but I wonder if you know what comes after it. That's what we'll look at this morning. First, let's read it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, this verse is really famous because it's one of those verses that captures what Christianity is all about. We learn in this verse that God loves the world. Maybe you've thought of God as sort of a a distant, angry father. But God loves the world. He loves all the people of the world. He loves Americans, and he loves Canadians, and he loves Russians. He loves Africans. He loves Australians. He loves every ethnicity, every race, every subculture of people. He loves. Now that means he loves you. And again, I think that's probably something you've heard before. But God loves you. This morning, knowing everything about you, knowing you even better than you know yourself, Knowing those things about you that you hide from everybody else. He loves you. He loves the whole world. And he loved the world so much that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're Christians. We are all about Jesus Christ. We're all about a person. Not a religious system or a philosophy. We're about a person. God's son, Jesus Christ. The ultimate expression of God's love for me and you, is his son, Jesus Christ. Why did he give his son? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God looked at the world and decided to give his son, Jesus Christ, because he wanted people, you and me, the people of the world, not to perish, not to die, not to end, but to have eternal life. This eternal life we know from the rest of Scripture is new life, abundant life, spiritual life, a life in which we have access to God the Father in a living, vibrant relationship with God that will continue beyond this physical existence into eternity. That's what God wants for you. Eternal life because we'll be raised up on the last day like Jesus was raised up from the tomb to be with God forever. Now, you knew all that. 
I'm pretty sure. I'm looking around. I, I know, I think, every one of you. Some of you I met this morning, but I've, I've learned a little bit about you. And I would venture to say you know that. Everything I just said, I bet you've heard before. You know, I can remember when I was a kid going to Christmas services and Easter services at church. And I'm pretty sure it was my brother. My mom's here. She can correct me. I think it was him. It sounds more like him than me. Who would say, why do we have to go to another long church service? It's the same thing. It's the same story. I've heard it. It's not a different ending this year. He rose from the grave. God so loved the world, he gave his son so that none would perish but have eternal life. You've heard these things. But do you know what comes next after John 3.16? 1 John 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, this is basically the same thing as, as verse 16. It's just restated to make sure we understand. God loves the world, doesn't want people to be condemned, which means judged and found guilty, but saved. Doesn't want people to perish, but to have eternal life. Now, not everybody receives this gift. Some people will receive God's gifts through Jesus Christ. And instead of perishing, they will gain eternal life, abundant new spiritual life that they'll enjoy now and into eternity. But others won't. Others will perish. Some will receive this gift of Jesus Christ and will be saved, saved from God's wrath due to sin, saved from judgment, saved from condemnation. But others won't receive that, and they will be condemned. What makes the difference? The Bible teaches that most likely, based on what I understand from Scripture, most likely in this sanctuary, and definitely in all the churches that are meeting this morning, both sets of people are present. Those who are perishing and those who are being brought to life through Christ. Those who are being condemned due to their sins and those who are being saved through Jesus' death. And they're all mixed together. What makes the difference? You can sit in the same pew. One person experienced one thing, the other person experienced the other. Same church. Hear the same message. What makes the difference? Verse 18 clarifies, whoever believes, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever believes, belief is what makes the difference. All the difference between perishing or living has to do with your belief. All the difference between condemnation and salvation has to do with your belief. Christianity is about believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sins. It's not about being a good guy or a good gal. It's not about improving in a rigorous religious regimen. It's not about church involvement. It's not about being better than this other guy. 
It's not anybody actually back there, is it? It's not about being better than some other person. It's not about where you are on a continuum of goodness. It's about belief in Jesus Christ. On that day, in the end, that day that we'll all face, as exemplified to you when you pass the cemetery coming in and as you pass it on the way out, that's where we're all headed if Christ doesn't return first. And on that day, the question will not be, were you a pretty decent guy? Were you a pretty decent gal? Did you go to church sometimes? Were you well-intentioned? The question will be, did you believe in my only son, Jesus Christ, that I sent to save you? And if we haven't, the Bible teaches that we are condemned and perishing. Verse 19 through 21 shed a little bit more light as to why, what is the judgment against those who don't believe? Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The Bible teaches that when Jesus entered the world He came bringing light. That's the the metaphor it uses. It was like light coming into a dark room. How is Jesus like the light? These verses make clear he's like light because he exposes us. He exposes our true nature. He exposes our motives. He exposes what's down deep in the roots of us. And ultimately, what's down in there isn't pretty. And we don't like that. Those who have been members of our church a long time have heard me tell a lot of stories about my previous jobs before being a pastor. I've had a lot of jobs before being a pastor. One of those jobs, I worked at an Italian restaurant. And this was an Italian restaurant that had aspirations at being fancy. It didn't quite pull it off. But wanted to be a fancy Italian restaurant at night, which was my main shift I was a waiter, so I was out on the, the dining floor. At night, the lights would be real low, really, really low. Like so low that some of the older patrons would, you know, ask if we could turn them up a little bit. And it was low for several reasons. For one, the main reason that was stated was, you know, it sets sort of a, a mood to eat at a fancy Italian restaurant. You've been to restaurants like this where it's just real dim lighting and you have maybe a little candle on your table in a, a really dimmed down bulb ahead. And so really all you're seeing is the face of the person that you're, you're communing with and your plate. And it makes it really nice. I like, I like that kind of lighting. Now at the end of the shift, at the end of the night, all the patrons finished, left their tips, cleared out. It's time to clean up. And what do you think the first thing we do? We bring the lights up. Bring the lights up, and they get bright in there after everybody leaves because it's time to clean up. And when we bring the lights up, we see the reality of that restaurant. No longer does it look cozy and neat. It's covered. The floor, 
the backs of the benches covered in crumbs and grease, people's hair, dropped mints, snapped toothpicks. Now, so long as it's dark, we feel good about eating in there. It feels nice. It feels fancy. But man, if we brought those lights up to full blast during the middle of a busy dining service, I bet people would leave. Those lights revealed what was already there. The unpleasant reality, hiding in the shadows. Now, you and I feel pretty good about ourselves most of the time. You know, we walk around in our lives viewing ourselves in the light of just what we think, what we know, our intuition, how we look compared off the examples of those around us, our idiot friend who's always getting in trouble, those violent people on the news, those insane terrorists. You know, in, in, these, in the face of these dim bulbs, we look okay. We look pretty good. But when Jesus comes in, he is such brilliant, bright light that we cannot approach him without seeing the realities. We cannot approach him without seeing what's truly in here. Not the surface, not the pleasant smile, not the how you doing, fine, but the reality that there's evil here and there's wickedness here. And that's why we needed a Savior. Jesus' teaching reflected this. You know, he taught the Jewish people who had a pretty good moral system going on. And he said, you've heard it said, don't murder. I agree. But I tell you, if you get angry with someone, it's, it's as bad as murdering them in the, in the sense that it messes you up. It dirties you up. So, yeah, you haven't murdered anyone. I don't see anybody out here that I suspect of murdering anyone. But I strongly suspect that you've gotten angry at someone. Maybe your anger was righteous indignation, but probably it was because they cut you off in traffic or they somehow thwarted you. And Jesus said, that's sin. It seems minor compared to your friends, but compared to my perfect holiness, that's filthy and unacceptable. You know, if you're eating in that Italian restaurant and we brought the lights up and it was revealed that there was a hair on the floor, you wouldn't think it was that big a deal. But what if we brought those lights up and it revealed that that hair was sitting on your pasta dish? It's a tiny thing, but it's a big deal now. That little bit of anger may seem like a tiny thing, but placed in the presence of a holy and perfect God, it's a big deal now. It's unacceptable. Jesus taught, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. If you're married, don't be physically intimate with somebody that's not your spouse. I think we understand that. Jesus taught, that's true, I agree with that, but also, if you so much as look at somebody with lust in your heart, you might as well have committed adultery with her in terms of how unacceptable that makes you to a perfect and holy God. That's uncomfortable to see ourselves in that light. In that light, suddenly Matt Broadway is not so great. 
in that light, suddenly we're not so clean and pure. We need to be cleaned up. We don't just need a little improvement. We need a Savior. The conclusion of all this in the Bible is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Everybody. We're all in the same boat. Now, why highlight all this on Easter? And I really only have one point, and this is where I land. Many people in our culture, we have a relatively churchy culture where most people have a, some relationship with church, some regard for it. They don't, most people feel real negatively about it or anything. And most people think pretty positively about Jesus. I think in our culture, many people have no trouble believing that Jesus Christ is the Savior. But many people have trouble believing that they need him as their Savior. And that's the distinction I want to highlight. It may be that you're someone who has for a long time believed that Jesus is the Savior, And you would say that and you believe that. But it might be that you haven't recognized and realized that you need him as your savior. And the distinction is critical. The difference between believing in Jesus as the savior and believing in Jesus as your savior is everything. It's the difference between perishing or having eternal life. It's the difference between commendation, I'm sorry, condemnation or salvation. You know, I'll bet every one of us knows how to be extremely healthy and fit. Eat less garbage, eat more vegetables, exercise. We all know that that's true, but knowing that it's true doesn't make any difference for your cholesterol or your waistline or your life expectancy. It's only when you appropriate that for you Does it make a difference? If you're drowning and someone throws out a life preserver and you say, I believe that that is the life preserver. Well, that's good. It's not going to help you unless you swim over there and make it your life preserver. Looking back at this famous verse, John 3.16, in light of what follows, we see that God loves the world. He loves you. Even seeing you in the full light with the lights fully up and knowing it all, he loves you. Angry people, lustful people. He so loves the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever, the murderers, the adulterers, the terrorists, whoever will believe in him, will not perish but have eternal life. That's the good news. That's the gospel. This Easter Sunday, based on the historical fact that Jesus arose from the grave, I can't prove to you my own personal experience, but he arose from the grave. Based on that, I ask you, do you believe in him as your Savior? to clean you up from your sins so that you can be acceptable to a holy God and thereby receive eternal life. Resurrection when he returns, but also life now, abundant, 
spiritual life in relationship with God the Father? Have you loved the light more than the darkness? Have you come to him and been exposed and cleansed? Do that today if you have not. And if you have, embrace the blessings of being reconciled to God afresh this morning. Live the new life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your only son. Thank you for making a way for us to be saved. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.